Welcome to From Betrayal to Breakthrough. I'm Dr. Debbie Silber, and today's guest is Dr. Tom Moorcroft. And Dr. Tom Moorcroft is board certified in family medicine and osteopathic manipulative treatment. He specializes in uncovering the hidden toxic burdens, preventing people from healing from chronic Lyme disease, mycotoxin illness, and infection-induced autoimmune encephalitis, so they can start feeling better quickly. Many of his patients have had their experience of suffering be dismissed by the conventional medical system. Addressing this betrayal is critical to their healing. His goal is to empower patients to take the steps necessary to get in touch with their inner source of healing so they can experience optimal health. And if you've ever gone from doctor to doctor struggling for answers and only getting sicker and more frustrated, you're going to love this conversation. Dr. Tom will be talking all about a unique type of betrayal, the betrayal of the medical community. You may need to stop and take notes during this interview because Dr. Tom will be dropping some incredible truth bombs along with how the gut, heart, mind are all interconnected and how one truly impacts the other. Get ready. Here we go. Oh, I am so excited for today. We have Dr. Tom Moorcroft on. And yes, so often we talk about being betrayed by a family member, a partner, even ourselves. But today we're going to be talking about being betrayed by the medical community. So welcome, Dr. Tom. Hey, Debbie. Thanks so much for having me. Thanks for being here. So when, when I mean, that's a pretty bold statement, being betrayed <laughs> by the medical community. Nothing like diving right in. What do you mean? Right. Well, you know, a lot of the people I see um, are folks who have kind of been told it's all in their head, you know, and uh, they've been suffering with different things, like maybe it's joint pain, it could be chronic fatigue, you know, emotional stressors and things like that, um, you know, even like brain fog. And and the community, you know, they go to their doctor and they're just like, oh, you know, you need more sleep or you need to take a vacation or, you know, there's really nothing wrong with you. So go see the psychiatrist. And they kind of leave it at that. And so I found that a lot of people really feel like they've been betrayed, you know, by the system. And it's not so much that the system's doing the wrong thing on purpose to them, but it's, it's often that their symptoms are so complex that they don't understand it, you know? And so it's just one of those things where just because I don't understand what's going on with you doesn't mean that it's all in your head. Maybe it just means that together we have to work to figure out what might be going on. And I imagine by the time someone comes to you, they're so exhausted because it's it's not that they're not trying to heal. They're just, they're, they're going from one thing to the next or, or listening to whoever sounds like they're making sense. And, and what, who's the typical person that comes to you? What are they, what are they coming in with and what are they struggling with? Yeah. Um, well, I, I think that the typical person is seen somewhere between like five and maybe 30 different doctors, and they really haven't found that unifying diagnosis. Uh, I Most people at the moment get to me uh, for, they, they think they have they may have Lyme disease or a related tick-borne infection. Some of them have mold exposures at home. I see a lot of children um, with um, sort of the, there's an acronym out there, PANDAS and PANS, and they basically define describe infection-caused um, autoimmunity and, and especially causing brain inflammation and behavioral changes. And okay, so I'm going I'm to stop you right there because it, can you explain to everybody what PANDAS and PAN, what is yeah, that? Ab- absolutely. So 
PANDAS is an acronym for Pediatric Acute Onset Neuropsychiatric Disorder After Streptococcal Infection. So, well, of course it is. <laughs> of course, right? And so, so we had to come up with an acronym because you can't say that all day. And, then, and what happened was this came out of, there are some people who will have a thing called Sittingham's Korea, which is weird sort of um, dance-like movements that come on after a streptococcal infection. And then we saw acute behavioral changes often accompanied um, by food restriction or by um, have, uh, bedwetting, um, you know, in, in an inappropriate age group kind of come on overnight. And it was associated with having had a, a strep infection recently. Mm-hmm. Subsequently, they found out there's a lot of other infections that can do that. And that's where they came up with the acronym PANS, which is Pediatric Acute Onset Neuropsychiatric Syndrome. And that just lets, that's sort of a, a, a broader arching category, just allowing us to realize that uh, you know, things like uh, a yeast, you know, infection may do it, something like a viral infection, tick-borne illness. And, and so it just allows us to broaden our, our sort of, you know, viewpoint of it to, to see what the possibilities might be. And essentially what happens is um, you get these infections uh, and they trigger like hyperimmunity. And then so your body starts having an autoimmune reaction against predominantly the brain, which leads to all kinds of neuropsychiatric behaviors like anxiety and rage and even um, tick disorders like ticks like, um, you know, in Tourette's syndrome or a lot of times kids will have a vocal tick. And this is where the children go into the doctors and they're like, hey, uh, you know, last week I was fine. And Mm -hmm. then I got sick over the weekend. And then Tuesday morning, I just woke up and this kid has brand new rage and they have OCD and they won't come out of the bathroom because they have to wash their hands over and over. And this is the part where that sort of, if the physician or other healthcare provider isn't really well versed in this and they don't pick it up, they might miss it and say, hey, look, you need to go to the psychiatrist when really it's an infection caused psychiatric issue, not a primary psychiatric issue. Wow. And so now here, I, I, I can just picture this scene. Here are these parents now who are so, they're so confused. They're saying, well, well, you know, they were feeling okay. And all of a sudden there's, there are all these new behaviors showing up and it seems to be presenting itself, I guess, mentally and emotionally. So they're just being told and it, I guess on some level it makes sense. So they go to the psychologist, psychiatrist and, and what happens there? Well, a lot of times, uh, this is one of the things I think is a, is a real key is it doesn't make sense to them. Like, so a lot of times I'll talk to the psychologist and they're like, this makes no sense. This kid is not like your typical OCD. This is not the normal child that I see coming through my office. And so, you know, um, but a lot of times they're just like, you know, it doesn't make sense like in a eight or nine year old to have like OCD brand new out of nowhere. And so that's what they're noting. And then they're going, hey, as I look through the symptoms, well, they might blow off sort of the bedwetting or, oh, they're not eating, but that's because something changed. And these are really cardinal things to be aware of. And, and you know, and, and fortunately, um, a lot of the psychologists and, and some of the psychiatrists are starting to know more about this pandas, pans phenomena than, than even some of the pediatricians out there because they're, the, they're seeing them. They're, they're becoming the frontline provider because the rest of the system says, we don't understand what's going on. You have a psychiatric issue. Go see somebody skilled in that area. Mm-hmm. So, and, yeah, this is amazing. So then what happens? So then they go on medications for, 
for for what to tr- to treat? <laughs> yeah, yeah right. go ahead. I instead that, of me guessing, that's you funny tell that me. you say that because that's like <laughs> when people come to my office, I'm like, yeah, why'd you go on medication? Like, <laughs> right. Um, well, and so I think that um, it's one of these things where they start therapy, and and I want to be really clear with folks too is I'm not against using the medicine to help stabilize the psychiatric issue. I mean, I have kids who become acutely suicidal, and let me tell you, like. I mean, unless I'm like really on the money that day or we get super lucky, we may not be able to address the underlying cause, you know, in a couple of days. And, you know, when someone's acutely suicidal or, you know, they they have a very, they have a huge extreme of their psychiatric symptoms. I'm not saying don't do the therapy, don't do the medicines, but also once you do those things that are medically appropriate, also continue to look for the underlying cause. Um, and, and that's, and the people with lesser symptoms, they're more mild. They're the people where I'm like, well, Hey, maybe we have some time. We might use some therapy along with some natural treatments to help balance their mood while we're trying to identify and treat that underlying cause. Mm -hmm. And when you say therapy and and other types of treatments, what do you mean? Give us an, if, can you give us some examples of what, what that would look like? Sure. I mean, you know, um, it could be anything from, uh, Some of the local people work with QEEGs and then use neurofeedback. Uh, Certainly cognitive behavior therapy may be reasonable in the right situation, Uh, you know, and sort of those kind of things. Um, I, I, when I see people, I, I really like to look at them through the lens of what's called polyvagal theory, uh, where instead of just saying the sympathetic nervous system is fight or flight and the parasympathetic is a social engagement, relaxation, rejuvenation, we, we realize that there's a third part of sort of the way the body automatically responds to things and that's to freeze. So if you don't feel like you can run away and be safe and you don't feel like you can stand and fight for yourself, well, the only thing left is to play dead and freeze and you feel hopeless and numb and helpless and really shut down. And in that case, um, Stephen Porges, who came up with the polyvagal theory, has um, some different, uh, you know, treatments that they use with sound and guided imagery and stuff that can be done, you know, um, over a period of a week. And it can sometimes, you know, in someone's office and it can lead to some really dramatic changes in opening people up and getting them back to sort of reconnect with themselves being present and being compassionate and feeling joy again. So it's pretty cool stuff, but there are a couple examples. Mm. And what, so walk us through, so someone would come in with what kind of symptoms and let's just say they did some of these treatments and therapies. How would they, what would be the difference that they feel? Well, in the the, the case of all these things is the, the goal is to just sort of, in my mind, and granted, I'm not a psychologist or psychiatrist. I mean, I have some training in some of those things, but, mm. but for me, it's really about being more really connected with whom you, who you are being present in the moment and, and to really be able to feel the connection of your whole body, particularly with your heart, um, you know, so you can feel joy in your life. And, and I think that in my patient population, what I see really commonly is that the, when they talk about Lyme disease or pandas, it's sort of they talk about it as if they and the infection are the same thing or that they and the autoimmune process are the same thing. And that's really not true. So whenever I have someone doing therapies, I would like to see them have the opportunity to recognize what part of this is the disease process, you know, initiated by the infection and what part, and then what, where, that they are actually separate from that. So I'm someone who's having Lyme disease or I'm someone with pandas 
but pandas is not who I am. And I think that all of these different therapeutic approaches, that's really the goal is to get you more grounded in who you are and realize there's things happening in your life, but that's not who you are. And, and when you identify wholeheartedly with your disease process, and then, then it becomes really hard to recover. And, and that's almost like an accidental self-betrayal, you know, because mm. you're forgetting who you are. And you're becoming more identified with that disease process. You know, I've seen that so many times where the the, the women that I've worked with, they've attached so strongly to their disease, they couldn't imagine who they'd be without it. And if, if you can't imagine who you'd be without it, that's your identity. It's going nowhere unless you can sort of make peace with who you'd be if it weren't there. Well, right. And and I agree totally. And that's what I see. And, and um, I, I see it happen... Uh, not as much with the kids. I think a lot of times the kids I see who get really attached to it, uh, it's kind of because their parents are really attached to it mm-hmm. and they get there. But in, in my adult women and, and the men, I see the same exact thing that you're talking about. You know, the, it, it become, It's almost like we have a chance to create board barriers for ourselves. You know, like I remember like growing up, like I, I, it was always hard to stand up for yourself. You know, you always want it to be fit in and you always want it to be in the, the in crowd. So you kind of mm-hmm. like say yes, maybe more than you should. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's like if you're sick and you don't, and your friends call you up and you want to go out Friday night, like, look, really, I can't, my Lyme is acting up rather than standing up. say like, look, you know, Friday night, I'm, I'm not available or I, I don't, you know, I don't feel like going out with you guys this week and <laughs> that's just going to be the way it is there. It's sort of like, Oh, you know, my Lyme is acting up. My pant, my kids pandas is acting up. They can't go to the birthday party. And, and so then we start to use it almost as a defense mechanism for other things as well. Um, and so that's, that's so hard to step away from. So I'm always trying to, that's why I'm saying if someone has a medical condition that affects them psychiatrically, let's find a therapeutic program and create a team around them to help because we see this in psychiatric conditions. We see this in chronic pain and is that the more this symptom occurs, the more likely it is to occur, you know? Mm-hmm. And so it's almost like a feed forward loop where it's self, what, it can be eventually become self-perpetuating. And I would hate for somebody to be exposed to strep and accidentally, you know, and then just go, oh, it's only strep and I'm just going to take my antibiotic or my herb for the next six months or whatever, or mm-hmm. two weeks, and then get stuck having anxiety that lasts for the next year or two because we didn't also address that anxiety at the same time. Wow. That, that's, that's so important. And you know, it, it, when you, when you say about antibiotic, I automatically think of the gut. How is the gut related to all this? <laughs> How is it impacted? What, what goes on? It, it's critical. Um, you know, we hear more and more about the gut brain uh, interaction and the gut brain axis. But what we know is there's been some studies out there showing something as simple as fast food or uh, consumption or eating commercial baked goods can increase your risk of depression by over 50%. Oh, wow. Which is just like incredible. And, you know, what happens is, at least the, to the best of our knowledge, what's happening is we have, you know, we have the microbiome, which is a way we describe all the good beneficial bacteria and fungus in our gut. And they react with the what, what's called the enteric nervous system, fancy way of saying the central nervous system of your gut, you know. And those feed back to the brain and they control subs- the release of substances like serotonin and GABA. And like serotonin is one of our happy drugs, right? So if, if you go to the conventional doctor and they might put you on Zoloft or Paxil, Prozac, things like that, and they're 
serotonin reuptake inhibitors. And basically we want this happy drug serotonin to sit around and bathe the brain some more so you're happy. And and you know what, Dr. Tom, I want to stop you right there because when it comes to betrayal, there's so much anxiety and stress and overwhelm and and chaos. And so often people will go to their doctors and just to, I guess the the intention is to help them just get through it. They'll put them on a mood stabilizer, an antidepressant or something. Yeah. So talk to us about that. Well, so what's really interesting is if you, um, if your gut is off, your serotonin is going to be off. And the other piece you mentioned is anxiety mm-hmm. and GABA is an inhibitory neurotransmitter. Fancy way of saying, um, all of us have a little bit of anxiety that's normal. Cause that's just part of how we interact with the world so that we can identify danger. But the anxiety, what we usually call anxiety is like too much anxiety, right? And GABA will actually help the brain you know, modulate how anxious you get. And these two substances in particular have a, are directly controlled by what's going on in your gut. So we add commercial processed foods, we add antibiotics. These things have the potential to alter that and then change and dysregulate that, you know, serotonin gap in the brain. The other part is they've more recently found that uh, there's pathways from the gut up the vagus nerve to the centers of the brain in the, in the limbic system, which is kind of like where we, have a, we process a lot of memories, uh, but also fear and anxiety. And so if we're changing what's going on in the gut, it changes our ability to create new memories, retrieve old memories, uh, and also to deal with fear properly. So, okay. So, so I have to stop you right there because now think about this, just relating back to betrayal. So your gut the way your your gut is reacting and responding can impact the way you're processing memories. Is that what you're saying? Absolutely. It, absolutely. It's, it's like a direct connection. And actually, they were able to, uh, middle of this year, they were actually able to find um, the, the pathway that it happens and surgically clip it so that, you know, in mice, so they literally couldn't make these new memories. And then they went back and they said, look, if we change the gut, we're going to impact our ability to make memory. And the other part that's really interesting is other researchers have found that if we alter our gut, and this study was with a standard American diet um, sort of um, food base, we will change uh, the bacterial uh, content in our gut, will lead to leaky gut phenomena, which is going to then feed back to the brain and it will help break down the blood-brain barrier, which protects our brain from outside invaders essentially, and, and keeps our brain safe from our own immune system. And then subsequently, it's going to mess with this limbic system where we have this hippocampus and amygdala that are all about our memories and fear and our reactions. Uh, so it's really interesting. Um, that, and, and, the, and this part of our brain is really critical. I remember reading a study one time where there were uh, people in, in the study were said, hey, you're going to play a virtual game with two other people. And the three of you are going to throw the ball back and forth between each other. And after they played for a few minutes of, of just back and forth, back and forth, the researchers would stop the, would have the other two people not throw the ball to the third person. Mm. And what they did is they took the third person, they put them in a, a brain scan and they found out that this part of their brain lit up, you know, this limbic system and a few other parts of the brain, but has a lot to do with betrayal, fear, anxiety. But what was really so incredible about this whole study was that the other two people playing were just computer models. 
there weren't even people. Wow. So when you believe someone dissed you or betrayed you, you, you have biochemical changes in your brain that lead to changes in this limbic system. And the part we haven't talked about yet is not only does betrayal make these changes in your brain and your gut can make similar changes in your brain, but if you have that change in your brain, the brain feeds back to the gut and screws up the gut some more. So it's you know, it, it is so form. amazing that you're saying this because I clearly remember what was that game, Monkey in the Middle? I think it was called. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and <laughs> when right, and I clearly, I just pictured myself in the middle during that Monkey in the Middle, and I always remember hating that. And you just mentioning that, I brought it right back, and and I guess that's it. It is one of those things you do. You feel excluded. You feel like you're being betrayed. Like, hey, why aren't I included? Right. You know, we just feel like we're we're excluded. Wow. That's just amazing. It, 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 it is. And, you know, I, I think that when we look at what's going on, people, we're, and, and, and especially with the way society is in the last couple of years, there's so much betrayal. There's so much, oh, you don't fit in with me. And, you know, it also reminds me of another study. And it just the, the way the brain works and its relationship to the gut, and then I, I don't, um, is, is really interesting to me because... There, there's this uh, researcher, um, I believe it's at the University of Pennsylvania, but this guy by the name of Andy Newberg, who does um, some, he's a neuroradiologist, who does lots of cool brain scans on people. And what he did is he took people who were advanced Buddhist meditators and he had them meditate until they're at the height of their meditation. And then they gave a signal and they did a, a, a particular brain scan. Then he also took Franciscan nuns who would pray so deeply that they, um, you know, were there at this height of ecstasy of prayer and they would do the same scan. And what they found was in both groups of people, um, one part of the brain consistently, uh, its activity turned down. And in another part of your brain, it, it turned, you know, it got really lit up. It was really metabolically active. And so they asked these two groups, well, what were you experiencing? And so the Buddhist meditators were like, hey, you know, we felt nirvana. We were connected with the entire universe. And the Franciscan nun said, God was speaking directly to me. Mm. And it blew my mind because biochemically, the exact same thing was happening to each of these people. But because of their unique viewpoint on the world and their personal life experience, they had a different individual personal experience. And so... First of all, I mean, just from a perspective of religious tolerance, I mean, it, it really was like eye-opening for me, but mm -hmm. it reminded me that just because someone else is using different words and they're re reacting to what, you know, an experience different than I am, it doesn't mean that I'm right and they're wrong or vice versa. It's just mm -hmm. that that's their experience and this is mine. And man, did it open my eyes to, I mean, I'm just like, how many times did I accidentally play monkey in the middle with somebody? Mm. Just because I didn't realize we both are individuals who experience life differently, despite our, chem our, our actual physical experience being identical. That, that's Yeah, that really, really is. And, but what's so um, empowering about that message is I'm sure when they were both, both groups were in that state, there was so much physical healing going on. For sure. Absolutely. Yeah. Because There's no of doubt what, at all. I'm, because of what they were doing. That's really incredible. So can you just really um, distill down and, and, and sum up for us 
to, because it really sounds like the gut, there is so much potential for health if the gut is well and, and in just in our emotional wellness. So what is really sort of jacking up the gut and what can we do to just help it heal? (laughs) Well, um, to sound like kind of the, you know, it's funny. I I think the number one thing is to, you know, shop in the supermarket along the outside, you know, Mm. I mean, moving away from the processed foods, the simple sugars and the sodas and such, you know, that's really going to be um, very helpful to start. The other thing is we know that sleep um, is and your gut health are directly related to each other. If your gut is off, you don't sleep well. And if you don't sleep well, your gut doesn't work. So some of the tricks I have people do to get better sleep is you know work with your healthcare provider if you need help sleeping. But things like turning off the Wi-Fi at night and turning off your screen like you know an hour, preferably two hours before you want to go to bed will help you sleep better so that then you can heal your gut. And that's like free healing, you know, Mm. which is great. You know, turn off the Wi-Fi and turn off the, the, don't look at a screen for an hour before bed. You're going to sleep deeper and that's going to heal your gut, which is going to allow you to heal your brain and your emotions. Um, You know, so that's a a nice place to start. And, you know, um, de-stressing, whatever that means for you, whether that's meditation or exercise, prayer, whether that's just taking a walk in the morning by yourself or with your family or your dog or whatever. Um, stress is just rotor roots the gut. So mm-hmm. we need to you know, do the, the simple things to help de-stress. And one of the things that I've personally been really bad at in my life with de-stressing is to learn how to say no. And mm-hmm. so... Um, you know, I've had Lyme disease. I didn't use it to say no, but as I healed and started treating patients with it, I was like, Hey, you know, I need to say no so that I can actually have time for me. You know, we're so much giving to other people. We have to remember to treat ourselves well as, you know, also. Um, and so I think that that's important finding time to do something that you really love and enjoy to help you de-stress so that your gut can heal. And then you can heal that, you know, and just as I say that, I remember like, you know, that gut reaction we all have, that is like a real biochemical thing that you are experiencing emotions in your gut and feeding back to your brain. So just another thing is listen to your gut. And you know, (laughs) I have to tell you when it comes to betrayal, when I was doing my study, every single woman in my study described their feeling with some sort of gut description. I felt punched in the gut. The wind was knocked out of me. You know, I, I couldn't breathe. I was nauseous. And then, so that was the, even just the description. And then almost every single one of them had significant gut issues. Absolutely. And, you know, the one part that we sort of touched on, but leave out a little bit because nobody it's, there's not a lot out there about the the gut brain heart axis. But when you look at that, how I mentioned the polyvagal theory, one of the most important pieces to get yourself is what they're describing is the way the brain connects to different parts of this vagus nerve of ours. One of them goes directly to the gut primarily. The other one primarily goes to the heart. What they found for getting you back to healing and, and is to, and out of that hopeless, helpless, shut down, numb feeling is to get you more socially engaged, but, but to also to reconnect the heart with the gut. And the pathway for that is actually through the brain. And so it's really critical um, to just give yourself an opportunity to do the things that you really love in life. And 
and, and it's almost like as you open your heart and experience some more joy, your gut will open up. And the more your diet is a little bit better, you know, you take little steps and maybe, you know, ditch the sodas and a month later, you know, you start to get rid of some of the other processed foods and you start to heal your gut, then you're going to start to feel the heart open up even more. And, and then, so you're going to have this give and take up and down with the brain as the midpoint. Mm. And um, so, you know, what I love important. about what you're saying is whenever anybody is asked to change their diet, they're like, oh, you know, all the things I can't have. And just for the sake of looking <laughs> better, forget it. But what right. you're saying is it's not that's I mean, yes, that's a benefit, of course. But holy moly, you're going to he- not only are you going to heal your gut, you're, it's it's helping your emotions. It's helping your brain. It's helping your heart. I mean, that's some real incentive right there. Uh, yeah. It's it's so critical, and you know this is kind of a rabbit hole that just keeps going. But um, you know how we were talking about sleep relating to the gut. Well, the brain detoxifies primarily while you're sleeping, like something like ninety percent while you're asleep. Mm-hmm. So if you're staying up all night, freaking out because you're researching your illness or you're trying your best to deal with your anxiety that's going to decrease your ability to actually heal from those things. And one of the things you can do to help yourself sleep better is go, hey, I, I can change my diet. So literally your diet can change the way you sleep and it can change your anxiety. It can change your mood in, in all positive ways. And it's, so there really is this, you know, I, I want to I, I keep looking at these like diagrams, you know, from the brain to the gut, to the heart mm-hmm. and all this, but really like going back to the people that you surveyed and studied, they know all this stuff we're talking about is something that our patients actually have experienced and someone else told them they were wrong. Mm -hmm. And the problem is maybe 10 years ago, we didn't know what we know today, but today they're right. And so that means they were right 10 years ago. We just didn't know they were right. And that's where sort of being betrayed by the medical system happens because a lot of times we're like, if we don't know it, it's not to be known. And the the tact I take is, you know, this is what we know now. Mm-hmm. We might know more later. This seems like very reasonable that you're having a real gut reaction to your experience. And the worse your emotions are, the worse your gut functions. And as your gut gets better, your emotions feel better. And so I try to really listen to people and I, I encourage them to partner with people who will validate their experience. And, you know, certainly. Absolutely. Was- and I think it's really appropriate to say the gut never lies. I mean, in so many ways. <sighs> no doubt. Right? Absolutely. No, yeah. So, and I mean, the only other piece is I always like to try to balance what I say because the, 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 you know, it's my job is not to have people come in and just go, yep, exactly. Everything you said is, is correct. I mean, but I mean, I had a bunch of people that I talked to today and their guts, they came in primarily for anxiety and emotional stuff. It was three kids in the same family. And, you know, they had been treated for tick-borne illness for a long time, but they were still sick. They got a little better, but they still had so many emotional things going on. And I said, look, we got to look at the gut. And we did stool testing. And they're just, all, I mean, their guts are a mess. Mm-hmm. So we're going to work on that. And I just think it's important that I, you know, when we say we want to go to people who validate our experience, I want someone to listen to you and, and really, you know, with compassion, but also with some, you know, some science behind what they're talking about. Because sometimes people are like, it's all my Lyme disease. I'm like, no, it's really not. It's this mm-hmm. other thing. But yeah, I mean. Brilliant. Just brilliant stuff. Dr. Tom, how can we learn more about you? Where do we go? 
Uh, you can go over to my website. It's originsofhealth.com. And um, that's the primary place. And then also, um, I'm really excited um, just because I've seen so many people with having these issues that we've been talking about today and feeling betrayed by the medical system. Uh, we actually have a, a Facebook group that people can join. It's all free um, called Empowered by Lyme. And it's really, it's been going on and it really took off. And it's a group of people who are really supporting each other um, through whatever they're going through. Um, and so certainly people don't have to have Lyme disease or something similar to benefit from, from the group. And really the whole idea behind it was to support people saying, this is my experience. I want to move forward and get better with the help, with the help and support of like-minded individuals. So thank you. Oh, that's so wonderful. That's so great. Dr. Tom, I want to thank you so much because I know there are so many people listening who are thinking that they're crazy because they can't get an answer or just, or they, they don't feel well and they just don't know where to go. So it's, it's just incredible um, experts like you who can absolutely shed some light on what's really going on. So I just want to thank you for your time. Oh, you're so very welcome. And and thank you for doing this. I mean, if it wasn't for people like you getting the word out, people wouldn't have access to all this great healing. So, you know, thank you so much for everything you do, Debbie. This is amazing. Wow. Did you learn a lot during that conversation? I did. And what I love so much about what Dr. Tom said was how healing the gut helps heal the emotions. Stay in touch with Dr. Tom by visiting his site, originsofhealth.com, and check out his Facebook group too, Empowered by Lyme. Don't worry, we'll have all of his links in the show notes at pbtinstitute.com forward slash podcast. Here's my biggest takeaway. Sometimes mental emotional symptoms stem from something physical like an infection, and it takes a skilled professional to identify the root cause of something so it's treated and handled at the roots. Speaking of handling things at the roots, let's see what you're working with. If the pain of betrayal is keeping you sick, sad, and stuck, you may be struggling with post-betrayal syndrome. Take the quiz and see at pbtinstitute.com forward slash quiz. And let us support you. Go to Facebook and join our group, Women Hacking Betrayal, where we give information, tools, and support to help you move forward and heal once and for all. Can't wait to be with you next time. And here's to your breakthrough. Breakthrough.